Ledger is a writing podcast and a spark notes about economics and RoboCop. I'm your host, Austin Wilson. Today, I'm chatting with Ben Clarkson and Matt Bores. They are the co-writers of Justice Warriors, which is a zany action comedy, political and economical farce of a comic book. And it is out today. That's February 21st, a Tuesday of 2023 for anyone who might be listening in the future. Uh, if you are listening in the future, the book's out. Go get it. Uh, but yeah, book debuts today. It's a collection of the first six issues of Justice Warriors, a full storyline. There's lots of swearing, both in the comic and this podcast episode. So wear headphones to listen and only read the book if uh, if you're a super cool kid who's you know into dark stuff. It's not super dark, but they're, they're, they're swearing. Uh, Matt and Ben and I cover a lot, uh, including the unconventional way they started collaborating on this comic book, whether they worked with full script for each issue, uh, even a disagreement they had over the Bread King. So you got to read their book and then listen to the show to understand what that is about. I'm telling you, uh, it's it's worth it. I adore the world they created in Injustice Warriors. I think it's awesome, and I think you're going to love it too. It's satirical, but it has heart. It's disgusting, but delightfully so. It's really one of the most unique books on the shelves right now, and one that they have big plans for. They cover that in, in the show as well. Buy the book wherever you can. Uh, visit thebenclarkson.com. There's no C, no second C in Clarkson, C-L-A-R-K-S-O-N.com, uh, or mattbores.substack.com to subscribe to Matt's newsletter. Tell everyone who likes to laugh, and, and maybe who even likes to feel bad about laughing, uh, to read this book. It's fantastic. Justice Warriors, out now from Ahoy Comics. Um, as always, check out my website, austinrwilson.com, for my stuff. Like, subscribe, share the show with everyone, do all those things, review it wherever you can. I really want a ton of people to hear the show and and listen to the great conversations that I've gotten to have with all these cool creators. And I'm super excited that Matt and Ben are now a part of those creators that I've gotten to talk with. We had an awesome conversation. Uh, I could have just continued talking to them for a long time. We talked about a ton of stuff that didn't even make it to the air and it was just so much fun. But read their book, Justice Warriors, share it with a friend, and have some, some guilty laughs that you, you won't feel too guilty about, but you'll think about it a little bit, maybe. The internet sort of fell in love with satire. Um, I mean, The Onion obviously played a part into it, and The Nib as well. But for my experience, there's very few, like the selection of great satire on the internet is small, and then the selection of sort of like pale irony like toothless like oh this is satire is that's the the majority of the stuff but your guys's book reads to me like a full-throated weird phrase but uh actual like powerful satire and the ability to tell that story where you're not dialing things back you are dialing them up uh i'm super interested to know how you guys co-wrote this because there's a ton of stuff in the book. It, it, it is p- packed. Um, I have a list of, uh, there's baby formula theft, driverless vehicle deaths, crystal obsessed astrology cults, mental health month themed guns and breast cancer awareness month, police gas, a pop star mayor, uh, gender reveal shootouts, which I really liked, uh, a bread investment slash rug pull scam, uh, multiple guns with testicular magazines hanging underneath them, um, 
smiley faces in blood. There's a shitload going on in this book. And yet you tell a story. It's not just uh, a shotgun blast of all that stuff on the wall. There's a story. So co-written by, by by both of you. How how the hell did you guys co-write this book? Ben, you want to start? <laughs> um, it's it sort of start because I had this concept. Um, Justice Warriors just created a long time ago. Just drawings. I was just drawing characters, and I got Swamp Cop, and then I started working on it. This was like ten years ago. And then I start like adding more characters, adding more ideas. And then I had this realization when my first kid was born, like, oh, I have no spare time anymore. I need to like, if I'm going to do something with any idea that I've ever had, I have to actually make time for it and pursue it. And so I started uh, scheming and scamming any way I possibly could to find time or funding to uh, pursue my ideas. And it had come to a head right before the pandemic. I had pitched Justice Warriors as a TV show and it didn't really get anywhere. But I'm like one guy. I don't have an agent. I don't have any representation. I've never worked in the studio system. I'm totally independent. I've made all my money independently. I've Every art project I've ever done has been independent. And so I cold called Matt on Twitter and I said, hey, um, stop being one of the most famous political cartoonists of our generation and work on this with me. And uh, he basically said yes, eventually. That's a bad lesson for uh, everyone listening. (laughs) That is not how it happens. A very bad lesson to teach people. But uh, honestly, it is literally how it happens. You just meet people and you hit it off and you have good ideas. And Matt has become like one of these, like he's a guy that I we didn't even interact on Twitter before I DM'd him. And he's one of my best friends. Now he's as close to my family as any person is going to be. I've invested years of my life into (laughs) him. uh, And he's invested like his future into this partnership. And uh, I'm over the moon about it. You know, you find people. Uh, And then we, I, I started telling him like my brain ramblings from like, 10 years and so we started like snatching the good ideas out and putting them into uh a script into a document and then we started weaving any joke we could possibly come up with and we would have these long meetings together where we would uh a lot of it was just making each other laugh and trying to come up with solutions for stuff and then uh matt sort of took over the heavy lifting on scripting so he would take those meetings and his notes and put together a draft and then we'd go back and forth on it. And then I took over most of the visual side of development after that. So a lot of the gags are just things that I put in because I feel allowed as being one of the co-authors to just change how a scene is directed or change what's going on in the background or to understand the the jokes that are happening and then expand on them. So for that, that script is that yeah were you guys using full script like uh breakdown panel by panel or just general page uh yeah panel panel by panel breakdowns um though you know it's like uh we're working collaboratively the entire time so like to start at the end like ben said i mean he's the artist he's inserting a lot of visual jokes background stuff you know all the panel descriptions don't describe every single mutant or everything going on i mean but you know it's just you know a riot scene and then you know you look in the background and ben has drawn 
you know, 27 mutants of uh, all different varieties. And one of them has a urinal head signed by our mutt. And, you know, <clears throat> so, so I can't take credit for any of that stuff, but the whole thing is, is kind of, is, is put together very collaboratively and, um, you know, to build off <laughs> Ben did just show up in my DMS and I, I did, didn't even see it the first time or I looked and then I forgot to get back or something. And then he bugged me again a couple of weeks later or something. And I looked at it and I was like, you know, I, I do like this. This is like really up my alley, you know? Um, yeah. And he caught me at a, at a great time because I was looking to uh, get out of political cartooning and into longer form comics, which I had always wanted to do, you know, since I was a kid and was just feeling like I had completely exhausted everything I can do and say in political cartoons and wanted to work in a, you know, this is, I mean, in some ways it might be the most political comic on the shelves, but we're not really, we're, we're also not setting out to do something that's like totally didactic or is like trying to teach the reader a lesson. You know, we, uh, we're, Hit, we're hitting a lot of targets and that's what that's what's fun about working in fiction and doing a, a particularly a comic as crazy as this is that you know we can we can throw shots at everybody and you do <laughs> they are uh, there's a lot of targets in there the for the writing process for for breaking down that script because the it's six issues around 144 pages i think did you have the entire breakdown for the for the full story at the beginning or did you just did you know where you needed to end up how because you people talk about i you know i'm a plotter or uh, i'm a pantser like i fly by the seat of my pants which would that fault would this story fall in either one of those camps we plotted it all out before we started you know um i think we're we both think that way but uh particularly because you know we have something that we're going for that we want to say and how it all comes together at the end is important for what we want to say about this world, meaning justice warriors and, and our own world that we live in. And, and Ben can talk about this, but he's, he's very film focused and thinks in films and screenplays and stuff. And so I, I think the idea that you just sort of make it up as you go along is, is not, it maybe not, it maybe works for some people, but I don't think it's the best way to yeah, tell a story. With also, intention. it doesn't let me, um, there's a lot of foreshadowing throughout the book because we knew where we were going to go and I knew how things were going to read uh, and how things were going to look for the rest of the book. I was able to put, even in the first issue, there's all of these tiny little illusions. There's all these tiny little things that say where the book's going to go in like 120 pages. Um, and I wanted it to have a couple different, and this is something that Matt and I keep wanting to do as we move forward with Justice Warriors, is that we want there to be another another layer underneath of it so that if you do a read through there's even uh there are other reads to the story and other reads to the plot and what actually happens and so that stuff gets hidden throughout the book there's all these little details uh about who knows what and where things can go in the in the background of the panels that i feel can give a lot of value and enjoyment to the re to close readings yeah i i it feels very cohesive. That was the the thing that there are uh, a ton of jokes and I, I'm really, really curious how you ended up balancing because you never get joke fatigue. Uh, there's never a point where it's like, okay, 
I, I want I want to get back to the story. It, it all seems to link up in a way where even the smallest joke, maybe just a visual pun or, or something in the background, even uh, doesn't detract from the story. Was that refined in those meetings uh, where you guys are just riffing and, and trying to make each other laugh? Or did you do a lot of editing before Ben started on illustrating? We definitely did a lot of editing. I mean, <clears throat> by the time we turned in a, a script to Ahoy, I mean, these things were really polished. Like, you know, we're like third drafts. You know, we're we're uh, doing an outline, then we're drawing up a script. And, uh, you know, there was a, at least a scene or sometimes whole parts of an issue that we were like, you know, we should rewrite this. Or Ben would come back to me and be like, this doesn't work. We got to do this whole new thing. And then I'd be like, Oh man, you know, I don't want to change this thing we're doing. But then, you know, I'd think about it and be like, no, that's right. Like it's, it's, it doesn't make sense the way we're doing it. So we would, I mean, we would do a lot of back and forth and a lot of refining and then, and also just then at the end, go through it again and just punch everything up, add new jokes. Cause you know, after you look at it with fresh eyes a week later, you're like, Oh, we can just have this guy say this. The, we, knew we were had we knew we had a extremely high joke per page uh count i mean it's a, almost every single panel we tried to oh yeah a there's joke. a joke yeah. in every panel like, <clears throat> to the point where you're like <laughs> we want to we're really trying to maximize the art the jokes everything but like you said i'm glad that comes across that we're we're trying to do it in service of the story and i think the benefit is just like the world of justice warriors is so crazy that it works you know it's a it's a world where an officer has a poop head uh so you can kind of do anything <laughs> well it also helps i think that uh there's a lot of plot like we really actually did struggle yeah. to get the plot into the page count and i think uh we could have easily had another two issues to let some stuff breathe and to put in a couple other ideas that we had uh but that's what other series are for so the plot is moving forward um some of the reviews we got didn't uh, see that the plot was moving forward, but I, I feel like the episodic floppies sort of suffered for the larger vision of where we're going for the trade. Yeah, I think um, I read the first two issues in floppies, and then I, I didn't read any other issues. I don't know that I was necessarily waiting on trade. I was like, I bet I'll interview these guys. <laughs> I didn't think that. But I, I knew I was going to read the rest of it. I just got around to it before this interview, and even those two issues that I read felt really, really cohesive and linked together. And on that, my close reading, I started picking up on some of the illusions for the, the cult that was going to end up showing up that I had maybe not seen the first time. So it all, it all sticks together for me that, that I'm super interested to hear what something you guys saw in the script that you felt didn't work and had to go and rework. Did that happen more with jokes or is that, literally the only like the plot was the thing that you you felt like you needed to rework i remember a, a big thing this is sort of different than it was uh something that we didn't rework i think <clears throat> so the bread king remember we had a big debate about that ben oh yeah we fought so hard on the bread king well we didn't really fight on it but we we went well that's back, the closest we, thing we've ever had to a fight we went back and forth forever so you know the premise of justice warriors to start out not the premise but the plot device kind of is that uh, bubble city is in addition to being a physical bubble uh, barrier also has a boom and bust economy that constantly uh, crashes and creates new types of crime. So, you know, by the second issue, we're already in our, our second, our second 
boom and bust cycle <clears throat> that's you know creating the new types of crime and bread crime and so like we wrote we wrote it we had talked about that forever and we wrote it out and then like right before we turned it in ben was like you know we shouldn't do the bread thing it's like too much too fast like we're doing a new because then we knew helicopter crime was coming he was like it should just be it should just be like stick with the record thing and like now there's a secondary market for the records and people are trading them for food or you know just stick with the records because we're going to confuse people too much and he was like i i didn't want to let go of bread king because i liked the joke too much but then i was like maybe i just like the joke too much and then i was like coming around and uh we were like we gotta have tom pyre settle this because like we can't figure out this anymore. So we sent it to him and he was like, no, bread King's great. And we were like, okay, you know, it, it was just, it was, I think it was a fair, it was a fair concern that we were like throwing too much at the reader. Cause the world itself is crazy. And, you know, like we're dealing with economics and a comic book and, you know, you could lose people. <laughs> uh, but I do, I, I think it worked. Yeah. One me. thing, one thing you said to me, Matt, uh, that really convinced me you were correct is you said it's zany. Uh, yeah, and I had always thought of like on one hand, I think Justice Warriors is the the dumbest possible thing you could ever read. Um, but then on the other hand, I want it to be the smartest like comic book you've ever read. Like I want it to be like a total satire of political economy and sociology. But then on the other hand, I want it to be poop jokes, fart jokes, people tripping over their dicks. Uh, like I want it to be vulgar, but I want it to be smart. And Matt refocused me on like, it has to be like, it has to be zany. It's like an episode of the Simpsons. And I was thinking too much prestige TV writing. And he was right. He was right to make it more episodic and uh, more monster of the issue in, uh, especially at the beginning. Yeah. And we were, we were still figuring out the tone then too. I mean, we did have the, all the specifics of the plot were figured out, but you know, when you go in the meat of actually writing and then, you see the finished thing and you're like, okay, well, this idea we had of the bread king and the whole episode being about this, like, does this actually work? I think, I think it does. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad to say. But. Oh, I, I think it does too. And I also think that that cross section of I, I'm reading about economics and I'm reading about, you know, a cop made out of shit. You, you cross that, that it, it works very well because well, also, I mean, you guys have pro- I've already talked about this on, on interviews on, on the internet and other places, but like your plot of uh, baby formula being stolen and then the real world baby formula shortage and price hikes and all that stuff. It's weird to say like that was fortuitous, <laughs> but it also gave me another lens to see your story through where I was like, oh shit, this is not necessarily more realistic, but the things that are being covered are are actually things that are in my real life, despite there being a guy whose head is on upside down, but his nose is right side up and he's got a mustache. That's one of my favorite mutants, by the way. Well, that was, uh, that not everything came from our lives, but that thing did. Yeah. In, uh, in particular, you know, at the time, I, I think at the time we were writing it, I had a baby, uh, at the beginning of, uh, the pandemic two months before the lockdown started and he had a uh, a milk protein allergy and wasn't doing well because he wasn't absorbing nutrients and he needed uh formula and even a specific kind of formula so it was even more expensive than normal stuff and you know it's like 
holy shit you know it's uh unless you deal with that stuff unless you know about it you know which most people don't until they have a kid or need it or something like that then you're like holy shit the 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 baby formula is expensive and they put it in a locked cage at the grocery store (laughs) so that poor people don't steal it because they need it to keep their kids alive so um but you know we wanted we didn't want it to just be like oh they're stealing cash from the register you know we wanted it to be something real specific and you well that's funny my next question was about specificity because that's one of the big things with comedy writing is specificity helps carry a joke and did you ever get to a point in the book where you're like this is too specific almost to the point of being esoteric like our readers are not going to is that kind of where your you worry with the bread king was like this is almost too specific we need to broaden it or i don't know we got we got you know, a, a Marxist tarot card reader. We got the whole astrology thing to begin with. I mean, Matt went insane it, with like uh, astrology TikToks. <laughs> like he would be sending me stuff. That's yeah, there just are completely unhinged. I mean, the You're Libra like, gang. Great material. You know, the Libra gang. We didn't want. We didn't want to just do like mutant lives matter in the us right because sure. you're you're then you're getting too much to like a one-to-one comparison of a real life movement and we, we also didn't want to just be like oh this is the good social movement they have a lot of good points certainly the cops aren't great and capitalism sucks but they are also you know deranged by the, their own ideology and that was uh influenced by a lot of things going on online uh, no surprise but more things than just astrology. But specifically, I was uh, downloading a lot into my head, astrology, Instagram, and uh, in like investor TikTok, basically, yeah. which is like a total lunatic zone where there's like 22 year olds who know absolutely nothing. And they just started learning some terms. And then they just talk with the confidence of like Jim Cramer, who already, you know, he he's more confident than he should be anyway he's an idiot (laughs) but he at least has some pedigree and and uh he's conversant and to investors of tiktok is like a total insanity zone all of it is all of it is if you if you you just find something about it like the combination of video you know attracts people who like are good with video and and then they start getting attention and start and then they just any community you could find essentially if you find the if you find the most hardcore contingent of it, they become crazy. Like whatever it is, Knit, I was reading uh, recently about knitting. How knitting became obsessed with uh, social justice, and then they were like calling each other out, and it got crazy. Um, you know, people become conspiracy theorists and start talking. Yeah, who? Knows? It's just it's it's. Hey, that's me. <laughs> it is bonkers. I when I'm not doing this stuff, I write for marketing and advertising firms, which I am not super happy about, but it's what I do to make money. Got to make your bread. Yeah. Yeah. And at the last place that I worked, I had to write some stuff for a personal injury lawyer on TikTok. And that's that my peek into that world of, of famous personal injury lawyers (laughs) who are on TikTok and Instagram. That was one of the days where I was just like, I am going to lose my fucking mind. And wow, that's great. That's a great insight because you know per, personal injury yeah. lawyers are already have a bad rap. Yes, and then if you just you you imagine the most deranged subset that respond to like the incentives of the algorithm, and you're uh, <laughs> oh, 
the research that I, I did it. and the stuff that I watched and the shit that I had to write. And it's all about like capital letters, like just put a word in capital letters and the they're going to love it. <laughs> it's this weird uh, subculture of like you're taking advantage of people and it, one of the weirder yeah. things that I've had to that I've had to write. Keep in mind that QAnon really emerged before TikTok. Yeah. Uh, it's all of this is just going to get worse oh, yeah. and worse and worse. Like there's a there's this con- like I went down my own like insane rabbit hole when we were writing the book because um, I was obsessed with QAnon. Uh, I, I was obsessed with this like idea of a, a cognitive virus that uh, which leads into the, the main uh, the, the heavy, the big bad in the book. It, like people have um, people catch Tourette's now. Uh, yeah, the t- the ticks on TikTok. I've seen this. Yeah, because people uh, get dopamine from doing it, from acting out trauma and injury, and so uh, because Tourette's only manifests as symptoms. Uh, from a clinical perspective, they get Tourette syndrome from TikTok. Yeah, it's, this is only going to accelerate and get worse because more and more just the reward structure of our lives is going to get more and more divorced from the actual. And this is also the point of the book is that the reward structures of our lives are divorced from the economic rewards of the world. Yeah. Um, so uh, the work or value you create for society has nothing to do with what you are rewarded with there's the compensation is unlinked so i think as we go into the next sort of period in history uh like literally so this is me being a crazy economics guy again uh right now when you have a good jobs report when like unemployment is down the markets tank because if they they are actively using the federal, uh, the central bank interest rate, they're trying to get unemployed people to push down on wages, which is going to push down inflation. Because if wages go up, then inflation goes up. So they're trying to make a bunch of unemployed people. So as you have a good uh, economy report, that means the stock market crashes. If the economy is doing well, the stock market crashes. Uh, So it's it's completely unhinged. The stock market is literally uh, uh, just a measurement of how the short-term personal interests of individual investors rather than a health of the overall economy. Because we're basically just packing up the economy and selling it for parts. And every time the economy says like, oh, people are actually like strapping themselves together and working hard. It's like, no, fuck this. Uh, uh, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> And you're, what's funny is a lot of that, not overtly or necessarily uh, on every page, but you get that the sense of that madness in your guys' comic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's what drives the story. And that was always the intention with the book is to have, because that's part of our, the overall, um, I hate using this term, overall ideology of the book yeah. is that the... Um, Material world is driving, is in the driver's seat. The the relation, the material relationships between people are what decide how people are going to act and behave towards one another. And that uh, all the hysteria is going to 
emerge from it and the cops are going to react as a way of protecting the bubble. And that's uh, one of my big questions was about protagonists and antagonists within your story. Because there's at least one pretty clear antagonist for most of the story, the mayor uh, being... Is he a prince and a mayor? I can't remember. Yes. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what I thought. I wrote down the mayor, the prince, but I was like, is that, did I fuck it's up? Even, I it's intentionally confusing. Honestly. Okay. Um, but from my reading, you know, the rest of the characters kind of float back and forth across that line of, of protagonist and antagonist. And I sort of found myself rooting for characters that I was like, I don't know if I should be rooting for this person to succeed. Although sometimes it was a cop who is a literal pile of shit. Um, but I'm super curious about how you approached writing who wanted to get the thing they needed and who was going to stop them from getting the thing the the like basic protagonist antagonist relationship. How did you guys approach that? Yeah, you know, I think to, to kind of build on what Ben just said that, we really wanted to do a different kind of story where, you know, a lot, a lot of comics in particular, obviously superhero comics, but a lot of comics and stories in our world, you know, uh, movies, it's a lot about identifying with the protagonists and there being a real through line with their actions and the choices that they make resulting in, you know, their transformation or the climax of the movie or a lesson that's learned. And the, the, I guess the lesson that we want to do in part is like Ben said, which is that, you know, material conditions govern outcomes more than choices. I mean, you could, you could, uh, you could write the story where swamp and shit quit and join Libra, but to, to, and you could, I mean, you could write it anyway. You could, you could do a full revolution and they win and then it's good because the cops aren't, don't exist anymore. But that's not like the story that we're trying to tell. Like, right. you know, these, the system incentivizes bad behavior. And then this isn't to uh, indict you uh, morally, but you, you work for the, the TikTok uh, ambulance chaser yep. because you have to, you right. have to, you don't want to. You have to, and and this isn't like uh, you know sympathy for uh, blue lives or something, but it people make the decisions they make inside of the the system as it exists. So we we are not setting out to tell uh, a story of you know it was a revolution where in the end it's like thank God we got rid of the bad mayor and the right. bad cops, and I do think a lot of people want that kind of stuff now because people yeah. want things that they politically agree with. And the world is bad and we want some positive stories, which I don't think is um, necessarily uh, unilaterally a bad impulse, but it is not the world of justice warriors. Yeah. The thing is, even if we had that revolutionary story, like if Swamp and shit saw the error of their ways and aligned their chakras and joined the Libra gang, uh, the bubble still exists. Right. Like they're going to get inside the bubble and then it's like, okay, now we have, okay, we can't let everyone in. The Uz is far too big to let everyone into the bubble. So you're going to have to erect the walls and keep people out anyway. So what you just had is you just had a changing of the guard. You just had a, a sh like a sh sudden shock to the ruler. And the same story is going to reproduce itself. And who's going to get a job as a cop uh, in the next issue? Swamp and shit. Well, and like it's not it's not choices. It's not individuals. It's the fact that there are literal physical structures that exist 
that are being protected. Uh, proper, like there's a joke in the first issue, property, you protect it with your life. You protect property with your life. Well, and then, you know, something we did intentionally, I won't, I won't spoil uh, the end and, and who is actually behind this. But when you are, when the, the big bad is finally revealed and, and what's going on be- behind the whole Libra thing is revealed, they say, that they want to be in charge of everything because it's the most logical decision and it protects them to put right. themselves at the top of the power structure, which is what happens. Um, <laughs> you know, the logic of power <clears throat> flow, you know, it, it flow, the choices flow from that. And, uh, and then, you know, you also something that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, but uh, that we do in the end, I'm trying to think about how to word it without giving away, but you see how the members of the Libra are integrated into the system. Yeah. Um, in, in a way that's just like, I mean, that, that type of thing happens, maybe not as closely as, uh, as, as we portray it happening, but, um, you know, Bernie's on that... the budget committee, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, those decisions, the decisions that you have to make where it's like, I'm either going to do this or not eat, or I'm either going to do this and not be able to take care of someone. I don't know that I would have thought about it before we had the conversation, but I feel like that is a great through line for the book, a a big theme uh, of those, those people making those decisions. And I mean, even in the situations where I was like, I hope shit's okay. (laughs) Thinking about (laughs) the com, the cop, um, because he had a, you know, there's emotion to that character, ironically, that I identified with in, in some cases. But, you know, he would then later make decisions where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, okay. I, the nuance of, of people who are neither all good or all bad. And either, even those stories kind of revel in that, like, this is the hero. And you know, because they'll never do anything wrong. I liked that your book gives me the the you know every shade of shit so to speak yeah i i have a because i this has always been the intention uh with justice warriors for like the decade i was developing it is that um the protagonist is who the camera follows you end up liking them you end up liking some part of them no matter what and so we didn't really think about the moral things that these characters do because people will find admiration and it people will look for any reason to like the character that the camera is following and well you know and i i had a friend say to me um you know how well how do you feel about having these antagonists uh protagonists rather who are cops and kill innocent people i'm like well i don't feel one way or the other i don't feel bad i um like swamp swamp cop is is a good example where you know we intentionally put him through the ringer it's a recurring joke you know he's basically uh you know put in a coma and i i I forget everything that we do to him he's he's yeah he's a total he's a total mess (laughs) and he's and you know unlike like shit has some uh naivete to him and some likable qualities so he's maybe like the uh, the innocent cop at first and even though he uh shoots an innocent mutant um he does so in a manner that's not you know he's not like cynically trying to, to kill them whereas swamp cop is a jaded cynical cop who plants evidence and shouldn't isn't likable i don't know if, if people like him or not but i do think there is 
I don't know if you, I don't know if it's about relating to him, but there's, there's something about, you know, putting that guy through the total ringer and him being a, a total mess that it's like, well, everybody knows someone kind of like that. Right. <laughs> well, the, I mean, watching him hold his dead partner's body <laughs> and seeing how that affects him. Like if somebody was like, Hey, do you like swamp cop? Do you like that character? I would say yes. But if they said like, do I aspire to be like someone like that? Or do I yeah. uh, idolize them? Like, no, um, it's a well-written character. And the, the storyline supports, you know, all the things that happen to, to swamp cop. And it's weird though, that to think about like, how do you feel about writing those? Like, cause that scene you're talking about where that innocent mutant gets shot. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's another thing that there was at least a part of my brain that was like, you're laughing at a thing that's based in reality. That's horrific, but it's, but, it, but it's funny. And the, I guess I'm, yeah, I'm we're, always we're, worried about battling that. Yeah. Well, we're, I mean, I, I think we worried a little bit about how it was going to be received. You know, we, uh, yeah. there's things called justice warriors to begin with, you know, I mean, it's sort of, um, you know, I think uh, police shootings are a lot more visceral because we watch them happen on yeah. videos and, you know, it's particular like those in particular have incited a, uh, a large movement uh, against them. But but everything every day, all the stuff we're talking about in the book happens and is horrible at the systemic level where people are, you know ground up into paste and discarded and uh we're we're laughing at all of it not not because we think it's good um you know because of the opposite i I, i've done satire and political cartoons my whole life and people have always sort of put this question to me and like some people have said you know i did plenty of cartoons that were about police shootings and they were about the specific thing that happened and not doing like analogs with it in fiction and there were people who said, like, you shouldn't do that. Like, these are real people who died. What Their family wouldn't like it. Um, you know, you shouldn't do comics about uh, black people being shot because you're white. You shouldn't be doing abortion comics because you're not a woman, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just like, well, you know, that's all right that they feel that way. But those those people aren't a good audience for political cartoons. A lot of, a lot of the rest of us enjoy processing the world this way because you know what are you what else are you going to do i mean you can't being serious all the time doesn't mean that you're more committed to changing things mm. than someone who 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 isn't you know what i mean yeah so different take you know it's fine if someone doesn't want to read a cop comic where people mutants are killed and stuff like that but i just um it's it's maybe it's not for everybody but that's fine. i i th- good stuff there matt i agree uh i think there's a couple things uh when we watch any enjoyment we get from watching cop stuff, it's the exact, it's the exact same moral um, uh, bargain. The because even if watching Lethal Weapon, like at at the end of the day, every cop story is shit and swamp cop. Like they are protecting a system that grinds people up uh, for other people's amusement. That's the system we live in. Um, and the entire point of Justice Warriors, and this is some this is a part of 
all writing and joke telling that I've always felt really strongly about is that I want you to laugh, but I want you to feel bad for laughing. Uh, because I think that, you know, we have to make, we have to enjoy the world at a certain point. We have to enjoy, we have to enjoy somehow. We always find a way to enjoy. And there's always a perverse element to enjoyment. And I think that it's good to at least be aware and revel in our own perversion because otherwise then we like close our eyes to the perverse elements of our enjoyment that we're always partaking in. And if you don't, if you're not aware of the perversion, if you don't have the guilt with the laugh, um, you can become a monster. Uh, I saw someone posting uh, like the laughing, crying emoji attached to a video of Russian tanks exploding after going over a minefield. Uh, And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Obviously the war, I hate war. Uh, Russians are the aggressor. It's a very complicated situation, but those are human beings who have also been forced by conscription at gunpoint to drive these tanks and then die in fire and shrapnel and it becomes content. Well, there was the one, there was a, a video like that too. There was like a guy out in the middle of a field kind of ducked into a hole and he was under fire. He was, it was basically the last moments of his life and it was a Russian and all these like liberal accounts that have, you know, like Ukrainian flags and their uh, bios and stuff. were just sharing this thing being like, I bet you don't like this war now, do you buddy? And it is sort of like, yeah, you know, I mean, Russia, 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 resistant tuberculosis. Russia's committed a lot of, you know, crimes in this and and Ukrainian soldiers have committed some too. I mean, war does ugly things to people and to, and to, to media, you know, view it through social media has turned some people into ghouls. It's, it's ugly. You find a way of enjoying it. You have to find a way to enjoy it. And by enjoying it without the guilt, you become a monster. This is entirely the point. There's so many, so many things in there. Th- that celebration of death, um, I think, is one of the things that we use against ourselves, uh, like as a way to like dehumanize not only others, but almost like ourselves. Maybe sometimes we're doing it. Um, we're not doing it purposefully. I the first time I ever sort of remember seeing social media as that microscope where it's like let's celebrate death is the night that. Uh, bin Laden was killed. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was on Twitter, and I was like, "This is really weirdly gross." And that guy, obviously, he was a terrorist yeah. and like killed, you know, thousands of innocent people. And but the weird, like, flag waving celebration that I oh yeah saw was so unsettling to me. I'll always remember that. I was eating a burger in a burger joint, and. Like the bar, the bartender was like, like, yeah, like everybody like quiet. I mean, it was like a loud place. It was like a bar burger joint type thing. You know, it was like super loud, super crowded. And, and they like cranked up CNN and it was like breaking news. Like we can report that Osama bin Laden had been killed. It was like a scene from a movie. Everybody was like, yeah, there was like, they were like passing out beers. You know, it was like, and yeah, I don't got any love for the guy. I don't right. give a shit. But I was like, I'm 
not part of this celebration either. (laughs) See, that's the weird part for me is it's like, if somebody would, would have been like, are you happy he's dead? I would have been like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I can't say yes and I can't say no, but also I'm not like, get the face paint out. <laughs> like, that's not a a reaction in the situation where I, I'm going to go screaming through the streets in, in ecstasy. To your point, though, Ben, about having to find a way to enjoy life, just life in general, even the darkest shit in life, or else you become a monster. <laughs> there is one, there's one comic it's just like, I don't even know if it counts as a comic. It's kind of just a pinup image that I have felt so bad about laughing at that. I will not even tell you guys what it is on air. I'll tell, I'll tell you after we're done. <laughs> I was ready. Okay. No, no, I'll tell you later, but that weird, like cognitive dissonance where I'm like, Oh shit, this is funny. And I'm a piece of shit for laughing at it. There's a there are there are moments in your guys's comic where that happens to me, but mm-hmm. never to the point where I'm like, I shouldn't be reading this. This is dark because it does hit as satire rather than uh, a celebration of gross death or, or, you know, you know, the under the deep, deep, dark underbelly of, of humanity. And I think it's pretty impressive <laughs> that, that you guys managed to walk that tightrope. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't. We didn't really work too hard on it, too. Like you put the camera behind the badge, and the reader does a lot of the work. Yeah, because we are so tied to um, these concepts. Even if we we could all go around and say like, absolutely, there's something wrong with policing. Uh, we are so like. On, on like a reptile brain level, we're so attached to these ideas that it's really hard to see the monstrosity. Uh, like the the bubble is monstrous in the comic, and I even try to depict it as like a boil, like a parasitic boil on the world. Oh yeah, it's like trying to suck the world dry. Um, but there, there's we also don't articulate any any point of hope where that would be eliminated in the book like there's no some person who has like a common sense point of view on how to solve this community's problems um because i don't think that anyone would agree with those uh, agree with what matt and i agree are the the solution um which is why you should buy justice warriors volume two (laughs) and you know i think i'm i'm a big uh dystopia guy sci-fi guy and, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of cartoons and like Mad Max wasteland style stuff. And this is a more, uh, you know, futuristic slum tech, uh, world. And I guess, what do I want to say? You know, there's, there's a lot of people who say, uh, well, there should be articulations for utopias and, you know, and, and leftist ideas, uh, in sci-fi rather than just saying like, you know, doing like robot doomsday stuff like Terminator and Matrix, you know, like robots are going to kill us and uh, environment's going to kill us and cops are going to kill us and stuff, <clears throat> um, which I, I agree that there's space for that. You know, some authors uh, have done that, uh, famous sci-fi authors in particular, but it's just, it's it's not the world of Justice Warriors. And I don't think it would, it wouldn't feel right or genuine in this world uh, that is so bizarre to present 
you know, a, a happy ending or, and as we do more of these, I mean, this is the goal I, I want people to understand is that this is not just a, a one and done book. This is a First launch of a, of a franchise that we see as running as long as we can make this work. I mean, we have, we, we have quite literally, we have 10 years, 10 volumes, 10 years, essentially of, of very solid ideas. So it's like through this world of, you know, the structure that we've set up, uh, the bubble, the us, mutants, the, the police, the mayor being a weird celebrity, there being a weird uh, rat cyborg who seems to be <laughs> his role is not articulated. But oh, you know, as he's, soon he, as he walked on panel, I was like, oh, I know you're coming back. Buddy. Yeah, he's not a good uh, <laughs> he's not a good guy. That's for sure. But he he, he uh, I don't think I'll spoil anything by saying, you know, he's, he's basically like an NSA yeah. uh, or a CIA you know, combination of that stuff. Um, above or beside the police and working in his own capacity. Um, but anyway, you know, these different characters will play different roles, not different roles, but you know, the, they may have different, um, they may be in the foreground of a series or more in the background. Um, we plan on doing elections. We plan on doing sports. We plan on doing in more explicit environmental stuff. You know, I feel like, the first volume was a lot of things that focused on the economy a lot, cops, social revolutions. We're going to like, we, we plan on articulating what everything in this world, this version of the world looks like, like what is war with a, con a neighboring city look like if assuming that there is one, you know, we haven't even gotten to the wider world outside of the bubble and the us, if the, if the us ever ends, or maybe it encompasses the earth. So we have a lot of plans. That is a lot to take in. Um, we're getting near the end now. Um, one thing I I wanted to kind of leave you guys with is I wasn't young enough when Judge Dredd was in its heyday to, or I wasn't old enough when Judge Dredd was in its heyday to to read it and to get the the reaction from it that I've heard other people say they had. But this comic does make me feel the way that people talk about Judge Dredd and how it made them feel. Um, weirdly, uh, because I think Judge Dredd is on a different path than what you guys are doing, but it seems almost like maybe like the opposite side of the coin. Because <laughs> my first uh, introduction to Judge Dredd was Sylvester Stallone. Um, Me too. Which is I love it. <laughs> saw it in the theater, and I was a fan. <laughs> uh, you know, it's been a few years since I've seen it now, and I don't know if it holds up. Actually, no, I think I watched it five years ago. And anyway. Is this anywhere near <laughs> Judge Dredd in your minds as far as its impact on readers, what you're aiming for, um, just as a way to give people an idea what they're what they're in for when they when they grab your book? I th it's definitely funnier than Judge Dredd. Like Judge yeah. Dredd, I I I didn't reach Judge Dredd until we started writing this. Uh, Matt and Matt sent me a bunch, and then I bought a bunch, and it's. Dread is pretty pulpy, uh, and it sort of boils down sometimes to just be like generic sci-fi, and then like monster yeah. of the week, uh, like oh, Judge Death, life is illegal, and I'm like, but what does that like mean? What? Is, how does right. that relate to my life? Uh, I feel like it's very comicy, and I'm not a huge comics guy. This is my first comic book. I've never which that is fucking 
crazy yeah. because your stuff on this book is amazing. Thank you. Um, your understanding of panel progression and storytelling is there's no way anyone would have been able to convince me that this was your first comic. If, if you hadn't just told me, you know, me when that. you got yeah, a good I, writer, you can, you can, uh, that's right. You can, you can, you can take, take these guys and, you know, it really you know, is all out. about yeah. guiding them, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Panel really one, that. small, you know, <laughs> uh, well, that's why I was so interested in how you guys did it because you're both storytellers. Well, we, you know, in your we, own, your own art, we did um, start out where I, I was, uh, you know, doing a little more doodles and stuff and had ideas. Actually, well, I can answer the, my part of the Judge Dredd question for you first, which is... Well, let me just okay, let me just got? finish and say uh, yeah, ahead, that then. it's, in a lot of ways, more serious than Dr- Judge Dredd and funnier. Like, it has a much more coherent point of view. I don't think Judge Dredd has a coherent point of view. I think it's having a lot of fun with just, like, sci-fi stuff and it has some great characters that people are very invested in um i do think that i'm very proud of the type of satire that we've been able to put together with justice warriors and how smart it is at the same time as being very vulgar and stupid and having a lot of very (laughs) dumb jokes like we really skate a fine line and i think it's something special that we put together i think it's a much closer to robocop than it is to judge dread oh yeah yeah, you know, Judge Dredd's going to be a comparison that happens a lot. I'm a I'm a big Dredd guy. I mean, I've read a lot of it, but I'm, you know, conscious of that. And I we're trying to do something. Certainly, it's closer to Judge Dredd than X-Men and uh, Batman, right? Okay. <laughs> so, but I, I do really want to do uh, what, that, what that was for the UK. And it was a satire of, of the U.S., but also people in the U.S. really haven't read Judge Dredd, and I find um, I want to create, I want to fill that that niche for for the U.S. and you know create our own uh, our own franchise. And it is a you know we're it's a lot weirder, I think, uh, funnier, like Ben said, uh, dialing up everything, you know, weirder mutants, we, you know, crazier action, everything, but also I think you know very rooted in our politics without trying to be didactic and make a story that you know tries to teach people a lesson or you have to agree with our politics to enjoy it but also trying to describe a way the world works and i would say the main difference between judge dread and our characters is you know dread even though he's not necessarily a good guy he's he performs heroic actions and he's definitely competent he's very competent he has saved the city um, from imminent destruction on multiple occasions and I would say that our crew is uh, aggressively incompetent <laughs> in a way that, m- you know, m- more mirrors our world. Um, so that's my take on that. Yeah. Dread ends up being a bit of a hero story still, whereas ours is a farce. It really is. It's the difference between like um, G.I. Joe and The Simpsons, I think. Yeah. Well, it uh, it absolutely works. Um, I think that fine line is walked and, and there's a lot of interesting characters and stories that you guys are telling in there. I love the panel <laughs> where the, this is an issue one, so it's not a huge spoiler, but it's where the, the cop gets hit by the driverless bus. It's one of my favorite panels of comics that I've seen in a long time. Oh, yeah. Um, the incorporation of that sound effect and, and, and the art and it's, it's magnificent. Oh, thanks. 
excellent work. Uh, I'm super pumped for people to read your book and I really appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. Justice Warriors Volume 1 is available now. It contains issues 1 through 6, the first storyline in the Justice Warriors world. Make sure you pick it up so you can prepare for all the crazy stuff they have planned in the future. Go to comicsahoy.com. That's Ahoy Comics' official website. Follow Ben and Matt everywhere you can online. Uh, Check my website out, austinrwilson.com, for my writing and links to all my stuff. And, yeah, tell other people about the show. And let me know what you thought about this one. 